You are listening to a rebroadcast of an earlier version of the Michelle Meow Show. should wait to come out, that you should uh, try to gain rank or status before you do that. That's a bunch of bull****. It's a new day in the music industry, and I can reach my fans. We're getting there. I've caused harm to the political agenda, and which I'm actually happy for. I would say probably the best message to them is that they're on the wrong side of history. Whether you're lesbian, gay, bi, transgender, or whatever, love is love. Shout it out to the world. The Michelle Meow Show. Your A through Z covering the LGBT, LMNOP, and everyone in between show. And now here's your host, Michelle Meow. Welcome. Thank you so much for joining us here on this Monday, August 17th. (laughs) Oh my gosh. The days just keep on flying. That's what I have to say. I'm Michelle Miao, your host. Our producer, Jax, is in studio. Jax, did you feel the earthquake this morning? It woke me up. <laughs> it woke me up, too. I woke up in a panic. <laughs> Were you panicky? Well, I just, I always sleep through earthquakes. So I'm just sleep like, like a rock, and I never feel them. So I was like, what is going on? I haven't felt an earthquake in, like, since I was little. This was a 4.2 uh, earthquake, and uh, it was, I, I think, like a mile or so so north of, of Piedmont, uh, which is a na- neighborhood in Oakland, so that makes it the Hayward Fault Line. And I think the last big uh, earthquake from that fault line was uh, back in 1898, which was a 6.9 earthquake, and that was considered the, the biggest, you know, uh, San Francisco Bay Area earthquake before the big 1906 one. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> so I mean, we can't complain. <laughs> Nothing broke, but Nothing broke. There was some rattling. The cat was kind of weird right before. Like she was <laughs> running around and Rawr! and I was just I thought it was a dream. And then uh and then my partner woke me up and rolled out of bed and she got on emergency alert mode like right away. That's like, good to yeah, have though. It was Someone's really good. Gotta be like that. Yeah, she grabbed the passports threw on a bra and stood (laughs) underneath the doorway and she's like get out of bed and here i I was like well let me confirm that was an earthquake and i was scrolling twitter see if anyone exactly exactly but you know she grew up in la so i think that's that's her natural reaction whereas i grew up in the central valley and i I didn't really experience all that many earthquakes but not to giggle about it we really should learn to be prepared because you know that's really important my dad is a bit of a prepper, so I actually have a lot of stuff. Like for Christmas, he'll get me these like bags, like backpacks that have all these emergency supplies. Yeah. Which is good to have. But yeah. I was helping a friend move yesterday and she's like, what is all this stuff in the back of your car? Because I have just all this <laughs> prepper stuff, yeah. essentially. Yeah. We have an earthquake kit, uh, emergency kit, and uh, in the emergency kit is cash and water bottles and all this stuff. And so... Um, this is just something that, you know, we must prepare for. There are people in the uh, Midwest who prepare for things like tornadoes and like all that stuff. Well, in oh, yeah, California, it, it, you know, it, it's earthquakes. But it led me to this whole question of, you know, I asked my partner who works for a tech company and was like, do you think that, I mean, yes, it is possible for a natural disaster to wipe out all the advancements we've made in technology. Like we could. You know, if there was a big enough natural disaster, be left with no access to 
communication, technology, data. It, 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 I think a big earthquake or tsunami could disrupt, you know. <laughs> You're going to say it, it could be good for us. No, like, I'm just saying to just think about this. Anyway, anyway, let's let's get on with our program. Um, let's chat a little bit about Giga News before we uh, talk about our guests or we introduce our guests. And just because I think we, you know, this weekend there was a lot going on. Uh, last week we uh, did an interview with Sean Conroy, who is at the time considered the first gay pro baseball player to come out. But remember, he, he plays for an independent league, um, a minor league, if you will. And so his chances of actually making it to the MOB are pretty slim. Uh, this week or this past weekend, we had another announcement. Um, um, a player from the minor league of the major league team, the Milwaukee Brewers, David Denson, came out. So now he officially um, is, I guess, more, you know, of a professional gay baseball player. So I think he steals the first title. I think so. <laughs> yeah. All these firsts, right? I still maintain my first out lesbian pogger title. No one's contesting that. <laughs> Uh, just some other news. Madonna won't return to Russia because of of the anti-gay laws. So wonderful. <laughs> Taylor Swift was in Santa Clara this past weekend. Both sold out shows. Lots of lesbians were there. And then finally, Rosie O'Donnell um, was on a uh, Sirius XM show and has declared that there is a war on women. Uh, you know that she was the target of Donald Trump's, um, you know, the comments that he made, uh, as well as Megyn Kelly, and she's defended, you know, Megyn Kelly. But I want to take that a step further. And like I said this morning on my Facebook, I think that there is a war on women in every way possible in this country and around the world even. But specifically in this country, it would be politically, socially. I mean, you know, there's a war on our bodies. <laughs> there's a war on our presence. There's a war on our intelligence. There's a war when it comes to job placement and employment and being paid. And there also is a war on trans women and their lives. So I think that that's a great, great segue to our guest who is a feminist. And uh, it, it, let's just talk about this war on women. Our guest today is the managing editor of Everyday Feminism, and she's here to discuss feminism, sexuality, and all things she, I guess I should say, Melissa Fabello. Melissa, welcome to the program. Hi, thank you. I'm so excited to be here. Yes, yes, we're equally excited because I love you know, talking about uh, or talking about women's issues with a woman who actually, you know, cares about these things and can articulate it to the rest of the world. Let's start with uh, let's start with my statement, because I think, you know, um, let's start with that. And then we can trickle down with some of the, the writings in your work that you've done that I've read. But I just mentioned that, there, you know, that Rosie O'Donnell has declared that there is a war on women. Uh, what do you think of that? No, I think that that's absolutely accurate. I think that people who argue, I think, I think part of the issue is when we use the um, phrase, the terminology of war on women, I think that people, um, they don't want to buy into that because I think that it, to them it seems like it's a little bit extreme of a phrase to use. But I think that it's, I mean, it's pretty clear, like everything that you mentioned, um, wars on our bodies, you know, which we don't have control over our bodies medically, uh, Socially, there's a lot of issues, like even something as small as street harassment, which isn't actually that small of an issue, but um, people kind of roll their eyes at it. But, like, that's another example of not really having control over yourself in a public space. Um, and as you said, trans women's lives. I mean, these are all obviously, like, huge issues that are affecting women. Um, 
And I think, yeah, I think it's absolutely true that we have a long, long way to go when it comes to women um, feeling safe and respected. I think that people say, oh, well, you have the same rights, which isn't actually entirely true when you look at things like the weight gap and et cetera. But, okay, people argue, well, you have the same rights, so feminism is now useless. But, um, but when you look at all the things that you just pointed out, for example, like it's, it's clear that there's still space for women to feel safe and respected um, mm-hmm. in their communities. So. Mm-hmm. There's been a um, you know a lot of new voices that have joined the uh, you know f- the the feminism fight or or sticking up or calling themselves a feminist, both men and women, and you know all around the, the gender spectrum. But I, I wanted to talk to you about also the stigma around being or identifying as a feminist, and you know when we are discussing this politically today, uh, what do people not understand about feminism? I don't know. It's such an interesting thing to me. It really makes me sad when, like, people in general are just against feminism, but especially um, women or and non-binary people. Um, anyone who's like anyone who's not a cis man, basically, who's like, I don't believe in feminism. I'm like, oh, like my brain hurts. Like, I don't understand. I think I think part of the problem is. I mean, I appreciate second wave feminism for what it did, but there are a lot of things that second wave feminism like really didn't do very well. Um, you know, it left a lot of people out of the movement. People of color, uh, queer women, actually, a lot of times, um, really kind of left people out. Trans women, for sure. And so, I think people have this weird idea of feminism uh, of it being everything that second wave represented, and people um, have a lot of issues with that. And I think that. I don't know. I think that that's just kind of like trickled over. What's interesting to me is a lot of times people say, well, feminism is useless now because you have the right to vote, which is a very bizarre, like, I always find that so weird. As if like, when you have the right to vote, you're good. You can't complain anymore. Everything's fine, which is weird. But I also think it's funny because, you know, I'm sure that during that wave of feminism, um, that people were also saying like, oh, what are you talking about? What are you doing? This is ridiculous. So, um, I think mostly, I think the, the what's funny is when people are against feminism, they kind of prove why feminism is necessary. It's like, how dare women have thoughts? And how dare women want to feel safe? Like, it's right. like, oh, well, okay, well, you just proved everything that feminism is for. I, 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 and then, you know, one last question on this uh, very serious topic, and then we'll move on to your work. But um, from, a, you know, a woman to another woman and, and wherever you are as far as your identity as a feminist and my identity as a feminist, I really feel like there is this huge elephant in the room that we need to talk about, which is the exclusion of transgender women in Mm -hmm. our circles as far as the fight for, you know, women's rights and equality. And I I have a problem, actually, with 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 women or radical feminists who don't, you know, consider trans women a part of our movement. Mm -hmm. How do we change the dialogue on that? And, And can we or is it too, I guess, premature to have this discussion? I think that's a really good question. I think, um, that something that I feel really strongly about is the idea that I think that if we put if we push the most marginalized people to the center of the movement, so the people who are the most oppressed to the center of the movement, then that would actually trickle down and affect everybody. So, um, like trans women of color, for example, um, I feel like if we center our conversations around that group, then we're going to help women, we're going to help trans people, and we're going to help people of color. And I think that that actually is a good thing. Um, but I think that people, I, I agree with you, I think quote-unquote radical feminists or trans-exclusive radical feminists are not, in my opinion, feminists because, 
one, you're leaving out an entire group, which is, you know, completely throws intersectionality out the window, but also um, just, just, just a pure idea that trans women aren't women and therefore don't have a place in the movement is just, like, mind-boggling to me. It's um, really offensive. But I think, I, think part of, I think what's good is I do think that trans people, and specifically trans women, are getting more attention in the media. There's, I think, pros and cons to that. Um, but I think that part of what is good is at least just the visibility. I think that we need more than just visibility in order to help people. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also, think, I also think it's important to note too that as a cis woman, like it really isn't my place to decide what we can do to like help trans women. I think it's up to trans women to decide what what they need, and for everyone else to be on board with it. And I think that a lot of times, um, people who people of privilege, like in this case, cis women, are like, "No, we know better. We're good. We're going to help you and save you." And mm-hmm. I think that that is in itself the problem. So I think we really need to listen more. If anything. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Great point. Great point. Michelle Miao, we're speaking with Melissa Fabello, who is the ma- managing editor of Everyday Feminism, who's also an advocate and an activist. Um, Melissa, I mean, thank you so much for that. I think that that makes a lot of sense. I'm also a cis woman, lesbian, nonconforming, but I just find that, you know, 16 and counting, right, the lives that we've mm-hmm. lost so far in the trans community, uh, it's a state of emergency. And, you know, the dialogue needs to be bigger than just the trans um, community and specifically Mm -hmm. trans women of color. But let's move on. Let's move on to your work because I think our entire conversation in the first half of the show around women's rights and issues and equality in this war on women that Rosie O'Donnell has declared uh, will make sense of, uh, you know, all connect at the end. You do a lot of work in talking about, um, you know, the uh, uh, body issues and and your Mm -hmm. body and women and, kind of the visual aspect of it. I was watching So You Think You Can Dance last night. And I want to bring this up. You know, uh, male misogyny and also the the uh, kind of the approach of, like, when men tell women what they're supposed to look like, we still experience that very much so, even if you're in the queer space. What do you mm-hmm. think of that statement? I think that that's absolutely accurate. I think that it's, um, it's interesting. I think because... We're talking about uh, structures. We're talking about larger issues than just an individual person doing something. I think when you talk about patriarchy um, or heteropatriarchy as a concept um, or as an overarching structure, that obviously trickles down into individuals acting it out. And I think that those two things are heavily related, that uh, structure of oppression and then people actually making small comments here and there, doing small things here and there that reinforce that structure. And I think you're right. I think that a lot of the way that we understand what we're quote unquote supposed to look like comes from white supremacist heteropatriarchy, like all of these um, values. And part of those values, of course, is heterosexuality um, and a very heterocentric um, way to define femininity and what womanhood is. And I think that everybody is affected by that. And I think you're right that even in queer spaces, even queer women, we also are affected by that because it's a larger structural issue. Um, and it's, it's rough out there. And I think that it's, you know, it's hard. And I think that people don't realize that even like tiny little comments or whatever really actually receives it to much, much larger issues. Um, but they're really symptoms of the issue, not the issue itself necessarily. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that that's why some people don't take feminism seriously because mm-hmm. you're, you're going to go after that very specific example, but really in going after the example, you're going after the structure. And I think people don't see that. That's so great. Melissa, we're going to take a quick break, but when we come back, I want to continue our discussion. So stay with us. Great. 
The Michelle Miao Show continues right after this. Don't go away. for listening to the Progressive Voices Network, streaming the best in progressive talk 24-7. Keep the progressive conversation going on on Facebook. Like us at facebook.com forward slash progressive voices. On the Progressive Voices Facebook page, we update the stories that our hosts like Tom Hartman, Stephanie Miller, Bill Press, and Leslie Marshall will be talking about during their shows. And we share great news, commentaries, opinion pieces, and videos from all over the progressive world. Always progressive, always on. Be part of the progressive conversation. Like us at facebook.com forward slash progressive voices. This is a true story about two best friends who fell in love and moved across the country to the city by the bay. After many years of dating, Jen and Jacqueline are now planning their dream wedding. It's a big moment in everyone's life when you say I do, especially when you can make choices for your authentic life and your loved ones too. Congratulations, Jen and Jacqueline. Live your authentic life. A special message brought to you by Weatherford BMW. The inspirational Street Requiem mourns the innocents who've died on the street, but also offers hope for the future to those who are struggling. Street Requiem premieres in California on Saturday, August 29, 7pm at Old First Presbyterian Church in San Francisco, and on Sunday, August 30, 2pm at the Congregational Church of San Mateo. Tickets from only $15 are available at streetrequiem.blogspot.com. streetrequiem.blogspot.com and now back to the michelle meow show welcome back thanks so much for joining us i'm michelle meow your host on the phone with us is melissa fabella who is the managing editor of everyday feminism melissa before we went on break we brought up you know the uh just yeah, how it's still a man's vision of what a woman is supposed to look like. Um, but I'm going to throw this in there. And I, and, and I had this thought to myself, and I'm so happy that I'm talking to you today because this thought is fresh. It was as fresh as last night. But there are also gay men, especially in the fashion mm-hmm. and uh, arts, you know, entertainment industry, who have, uh, you know, vision of what a woman is supposed to look like or a beautiful woman or a woman that he, you know, admires, adores or wants to hang out with. Um, I also, you know, I, I'm, I, I used to feel like that was great because I felt included in the gay male space. But now as an older woman who's becoming more and more of a feminist, I have a problem with that. And some of the comments that are made by gay men are absolutely, um, you know, they're, uh, <laughs> it's misogynist. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that we forget sometimes that gay men are men. <laughs> like it's like regardless, like if, if you're they're still men, and I think that um, men are still going to perpetuate patriarchy. That's that's just part of it. Um, and I think that obviously gay men are marginalized, obviously as being gay, um, and that that is important. Um, but that as men, they still have privilege and they still have power, and they are still just as likely to be misogynist as anyone else. And I think. Um, I think that's a great point. And I think, you know, uh, in feminist circles, people have started to talk a little bit about also um, the way that gay men treat women's bodies, um, like touching them or groping them and kind of or commenting on them and the kind of joke being like, well, I'm gay, so it doesn't count. Like, it's still sexually violating to grope a person. Like, it doesn't mm-hmm. matter. It's like, that's, that's irrelevant. Right. Um, 
And, yeah, and I think that that is something that needs to be talked about more. And, I, I, you know, I'm glad that the conversation is coming, and I'm glad that you also, you know, brought it up and had the, the thought, because it is kind of a fresh take on looking at misogyny um, from all angles. And I think that that's absolutely necessary and that you're definitely right that that is true. Yeah, and, and you look at pop culture and some of these popular shows coming out uh, more and more and more, and there's this like fine thin line of what is considered entertainment and then offense, uh, you know, offensive. I mean, bringing up Rosie O'Donnell again, I think Rosie O'Donnell at some point had even problems with, um, you know, drag queens. And, uh, you know, now we've got shows like RuPaul's Drag Race uh, that are, you know, exaggerating uh, a woman's, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, characteristics and her femininity. I mean, you know, what are your thoughts uh, about that? I think that's a really good question. It's actually something that I've been turning over in my own head mm-hmm. for probably a year or two. I'm thinking a lot about drag and whether or not that is misogynist or not. Because on the one hand, I absolutely would not want to um, degrade someone's um, expression of gender. And I think that drag is partly an expression of gender and kind of like calling into um, the spotlight, the fact that gender is, is really nothing but a performance, and I think that that's important. I also think that you make a point, or like that really makes a point, about, um, the, about exaggerating, quote-unquote, femininity and what that means. And sometimes, sometimes it can feel like, wait, are you making fun of women? Like, I'm not mm-hmm. sure. Like, I can't. And so it's something I've been thinking about that I personally don't yet have an answer to, um, but I think that it's worth turning over and thinking about and engaging with because it is an interesting question. Um, about it, and I, and but then it's also like, what about um, when women do drag and drag kings? And is it the same thing? And I think it's hard because I think that in that case you're sub- like subverting the people in power. So like you're playing men um, who are the people in power, whereas when you're a man playing a woman, uh, how how is this? I don't I'm I have trouble understanding how that can be mm-hmm. um, empowering to women. Mm-hmm. So I I don't know. I think I I think that's a good question, and I think it's something that I've definitely been thinking about a lot. Over the past year or two. Yeah, we'll think about it together. I'm sure we'll yeah, see an ar- like we'll, <laughs> we'll see an article from you in the future. And, yeah, right. Yeah, you know. Um, so, but you know, and staying on that same subject, though, I mean, you did an article about sexual fluidity, and and mm-hmm. more and more today, a lot of younger kids as well are accepting sexual fluidity, as well as you know, being androgynous or genderqueer, and not you know, and and not existing in that uh, male female space so much. Right. It's like a spectrum. Um, I kind of wanted to chat with you, you know, more about that and how that how we explain this to to men (laughs) (laughs) so that they can get off our backs for the decisions or the you know, how we live our lives. Yeah, absolutely. I think part of it is not wanting to explain oneself to anyone. Um, Right. But I think but I do think that uh, sexual fluidity is is a very common experience, and it's also a very old experience. It's not like this, you know, newfangled idea. It's something that indigenous cultures have been talking about since the beginning of time. It's just the notion that sexuality or orientation isn't as um, fixed as, as we think that it is, or that we tend to think that it is. I think part of what makes it hard to talk about sexual fluidity is just that we've so bought into kind of the quote-unquote born-this-way narrative of queerness. And, like, I didn't have a choice. I this is I came to discover how I felt and who I was and who I was attracted to, and that's the story. And I think that people are starting to um, understand that and be sympathetic to it and uh, uh, accept that narrative. So mm-hmm. when you throw in sexual fluidity and you say, like, well, there was a time in my life when I was attracted to 
um, this gender and this gender um, only, or then, oh, I was actually attracted to one gender, or sometimes I'm attracted to all people. It kind of depends on the moment uh, or the time in my life. Um, that really, really throws that narrative kind of out the window. And I think that that's why um, in the queer community it's hard to accept as, a, as an idea because it really does kind of ruin that whole idea. But then it also, I think, it's hard for straight people to understand because it's also um, it's like, wow, we're just starting to understand this. And now you came in and you gave this whole new idea that completely um, seems to contradict um, what we've, we've come to understand. But right. so I, think, I think it's a hard thing to talk about. Um, I, I read on your, your website here that you now identify, or there was an article actually on sexual fluidity mm-hmm. in which you start off with, I identify as queer, and you didn't used to all always be this way. When you say I'm queer, um, you know, do you get confusion? What do, what's the, <laughs> well, how do people respond to that? Yeah, I think I'm lucky that at least most of the people that I hold close to me, like kind of like the chosen family type people, are feminist and or queer, um, and so kind of understand that general idea. I think when it comes to people like my family, it's a little harder. <laughs> um, mm. uh, I think, yeah, I think there is still confusion around the ident- identifying as queer, especially I think with older people who still very, very strongly hold on to the idea that queer is, as a term is derogatory I mean, not something that can be reclaimed. But I think that for me, as an identity, it's important to me because, because my sexuality is fluid and because it changes um, and I'm not always attracted to genders in the same way, depending on, on where I am. Um, it's important to me to have something that still uh, identifies me as part of the queer community, but that isn't as in a box as like lesbian. is a very, is a box that when you step out of the lesbian community, it's real mad. Mm-hmm. Like, you can't call yourself a lesbian anymore. <laughs> and then it's like, oh man, now I'm having a crisis. Like I don't even know who I am anymore. So I think I like queer because it's so overarching that it can fit pretty much all the time. So... Well, I'm not going to lie. I mean, as a lesbian, I, I definitely uh, cried a silent cry when, you know, Amber Heard went back to <laughs> you yeah. know, dating men and she's married to Johnny Depp now. I mean, I really wish that she was a card-carrying lesbian for her life, but that's okay. It's okay. Anyway, um, more about your work. You also do articles that talk about, uh, you know, body image and, and mm-hmm. not just in a way that, you know, is uh, universal, but but in a way where it makes sense to a woman. And I feel like body image in the queer community, let's let's just talk specifically about celesbians today in pop culture, mm-hmm. because I think this is so important. More and more lesbians are coming out in their, you know, uh, in media, but they look a certain way and they're yeah. really, really thin uh, with, you know, they're tatted up, which is not a bad thing. But if you look at Ruby Rose, you know, Rose yeah. to fame, uh, just stripping naked, right, for Orange is the mm-hmm. New Black. I mean, people went crazy for that. And I, I kind of wanted to see what your feelings are for somebody who focuses their, their work and, and being an advocate, um, being po- body positive, you know, kind of where, yeah. where your head was at. Yeah, I think it's complicated. I think it ties in with all the other things that we've been talking about, about the idea of um, a very male-focused um, or male-gaze-derived um, notion of what makes an attractive woman. I think that that, you know, kind of ties into the thinness and things like that. But I think it's also about androgyny. And just, I think that that makes straight women feel real safe. Like, how many straight women did you see on your Facebook feed being like, oh, I think Ruby Rose is making a lesbian, you know? And you're like, oh, yeah, friend of doesn't work like that. Like, let's just be clear. That's, like, not how it works. But also, um, I, think that, I think that that sense of androgyny um, makes 
straight women feel really, really safe, and I think that it also makes men feel safe in the idea that women can be attracted to that. So it's not, uh, it's 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 weird though, and I think and I think that it's important to talk about because you're right that a lot of um, the kinds of women or lesbian women that um, are being kind of heralded as particularly attractive in media tend to look really, really similar, like you said, like are thin, have kind of like an air about them, like um, Kristen Stewart, for example, is like another example of people mm-hmm. who are like really, really into her, but like she's also, she's beautiful, but like she's, you know, she's thin and, you know, whatever. Um, and I think, I think that that matters and I think that it's something that we need to talk about and I think that that is exactly what we kind of started this conversation off discussing around what makes someone beautiful and the fact that the queer community can't actually escape that gaze, that like straight male gaze of what right. makes a person attractive. Mm-hmm. Right. And that, you know, and I was, I was thinking about this and I was like, maybe I should stay in radio, even though I do a local, you know, television show here in San Francisco, because I'm curvier as a nonconforming lesbian. I mean, I like, you know, doing the whole skinny jeans and things like that, <laughs> but um, I'm curvier. I've got breasts and, uh, you know, and a woman's body. Absolutely. I love it. But then when I'm seeing the images of some of these lesbians, I start to feel bad that I, uh, mm. I don't. I don't, I'm not, I'm not, I don't think I will ever be that thing. Right, yeah. Um, so I, I, you know, thank you so much for being here on the program and just for the work that you do. I think it's so important. Oh, thanks. No, I appreciate that a lot. Well, Melissa, thank you so much for being here with us. We are winding down and uh, we got to let you go. Although I think I could sit here and talk to you forever um, about <laughs> the work that you do. Uh, anything coming up next? Maybe an article that you're working on? Yeah, um, let's see. I'm working on a couple things. I'm actually going to probably write a more in-depth article about sexual fluidity because the piece that I did write was kind of like fluffy and just very um, on base level. So I'm going to try to write something more in-depth because I think that that's definitely something that people want to know more about because mm-hmm. it's not something we're talking about a lot in any corner of culture. So. Awesome. Well, make sure you follow Melissa's work. So if you're interested, head to melissafabello.com. Thanks again, Melissa. Thank you. The Michelle Miao Show continues right after this. Don't go away. You're listening to the Progressive Voices Channel on TuneIn. Please help us grow. Tell your friends to tune in to Progressive Voices. Find out more at ProgressiveVoices.com. Babe, I think we're ready. We're really doing this. Yeah, I'm ready for our family. So where do we start? (laughs) Starting a family is a team effort, and when life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side. As a unified team of the best fertility specialists, guided by the highest ethical standards, Pacific Fertility Center provides patients with compassionate fertility care. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. This is a true story about two best friends who fell in love and moved across the country to the city by the bay. After many years of dating, Jen and Jacqueline are now planning their dream wedding. It's a big moment in everyone's life when you say I do, especially when you can make choices for your authentic life and your loved ones too. Congratulations, Jen and Jacqueline. Live your authentic life. A special message brought to you by Weatherford BMW. And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show. Welcome back. Thanks so much for joining us. I'm Michelle Meow, your host. It is Monday. Monday, 
August 17th. Why do I sound like, you know, I'm so sad about that? <laughs> I guess because it's Monday. It's hard to, you know, it's hard to just get through the day, even though we're we're pretty much there. Jax, our producer, is in studio. Pretty good, uh, pretty good halfway mark here, right? I'd like to say I started my Monday off stuck behind a car that had a yes on Prop 8 sticker. What? Did you throw a banana? I glared orange? at them. You glared. <laughs> glared. <laughs> I bet they were like, what? I did turn on my what turn is this, signals. Like, vintage bigotry. <laughs> <laughs> so old. Old. Get with the program. Anyway, let's continue our conversation uh, before the break. The first half hour, we focused a lot on feminism. So I think this uh, second half, it's going to be really cool that we'll continue our discussion. But, you know, talking about um, being gender neutral. I I mentioned it in the beginning of the show that I identify as nonconforming. And so I'm very excited about our next guest. I mean, I'm so excited. I wish that I had met Nick, you know, back when I was like 19 years old and coming out because during that time when I was 19, everything was just so awkward (laughs) and trying to find where I fit in, but especially clothes and shoes that that I liked. So Nick Casey is with us on the phone and he has designed uh, a a really awesome, cool new shoe line that is agender or considered gender neutral. Um, But uh, yeah, let's welcome Nick to the program. Nick, welcome. Hi, thank you. Uh, be on the show. Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're super excited. I'm super excited. So you identify as gender fluid, uh, queer, and trans, and you know, kind of. We're, we we were talking about identity earlier um, in the show, and so maybe let's start with that. Let's start with you and kind of how you identify and your work within the LGBTQ space. Uh, sure. Um, basically, I I identify pretty much as gender neutral and gender fluid, uh, I also identify in, I, I suppose, as a supplement to that, as trans. And also, after my trans surgery, like my top surgery, I, I recognized that I didn't want to just give up my my identity as a lesbian because I spent, you know, the majority of my life kind of fighting to find comfort and pride in that. And so I thought that it was, um, it was interesting, you know, after you have transitional surgery that, you know, a friend is being supportive, they want to ask and respect, like, how do you want to identify now, but I think that I I felt a little pressure to go one way at first, and then I realized, Mm -hmm. you know what, I feel perfect just the way I am now, and I don't think that that requires me to give up a part of me that I had fought so hard to to be comfortable with, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. I totally get it. And I, I might have, you know, just kind of going back, I used the he pronoun, but I should ask you, I, I mean, what are you more comfortable with? You know, it's, it's one of those things where I wish that we just did not require pronouns because I really feel like that has nothing to do with me. And I find it really hard to pick one, you know, mm-hmm. and I don't, and I don't, I'm not a huge fan of they either because I feel like that's kind of confusing. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I'm comfortable with he, I'm comfortable with she. My only request is nobody call me a lady or a hey girl. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> 
<laughs> what about yo bro <laughs> yeah that's totally fine <laughs> <laughs> well we'll we'll refer to you as nick because you're the nick casey who uh has designed these incredible shoes now that i wish i wish i had access to when i was 19 years old which you know is uh, a few years ago <laughs> Uh, yeah. You know, now I'm 33. But yeah, like I was telling my producer, Jax, I was super excited that she booked you for this interview because it brought me back to this space, you know, now, um, I was coming out and being a non-conforming. And there weren't a lot of options for, for us, especially also butch lesbians or, you know, those who like a more masculine look. Um, yeah. So I wonder if you you went through kind of the same experience I did. I mean, I think that my only choice was like Ann Taylor loafers <laughs> at 19. <laughs> Bizarre. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's kind of traumatic when I look back at my youth and how I had such a hard time shopping for, you know, fashion that I felt was going to identify myself in an authentic way. And I think that for so many years, I look back and I look at all my photos and I think, oh, what a lie, you know, like, mm. I was never, I could not be authentic because there was nothing out there for me. And whether it was, you know, from not being honest enough with my mom to, like, let me dress the way I want because that's how I identified versus, like, fighting with her and saying, no, I don't want to wear this dress, but not being able to articulate why I don't want to wear this dress, you know? Right. Um, and then as I was growing, you know, got older and older and being able to shop for myself, you know, just years of, you know, being rejected or denied or point, pointed towards the women's section because they either didn't have my size or they just immediately looked at me and said, you should, you know, you're in the wrong section. And I'm not giving people the freedom to shop, you know, browse even right. the way they want to, like making certain assumptions based on gender. And I just found it so limiting that I always told myself that, you know, one day I hope somebody will make this change. But if no one does, like, I'm going to go and I'm going to do it myself. Man, you're... You're so freaking badass because you did it. And so I wanted yeah. to, I wanted to ask you, you know, as a, a shoe designer, um, someone who's come up with this line that is gender neutral, I mean, what what is the difference between, you know, female, male shoes and why people feel the need to have I mean, even shoes be considered, you know, binary or something like that? I, I mean, I think that the difference is like what size, but I don't understand why shoe designers think that women always want, you know, the more narrow or pointy toes or something like that. So as a shoe designer, you know, kind of what are your thoughts? And when you're designing these uh, gender-neutral shoes, um, what, what's the major difference? Well, I know as a consumer, uh, I, I, I went into this from a very consumer-based um, perspective because for so many years as a consumer, I just was so, I mean, I struggled so much with finding like literally the same brand, the same sort of design, but the female version so that it would be in my size, but then like putting it side by side and noticing how, what, like what a drastic difference it was between the men's version and the women's. And it was always because, you know, I'm sure you know from experience, when you try to wear a man's shoe, it's usually wider, longer, you know, it exudes this masculinity because like, you know, the, the symbol of like manliness is like you have to have big feet, right? <laughs> yeah. And then, and the opposite for women is like, oh, you're supposed to be like petite and demure and like tiny feet. And so even if it's the design is supposed to be a masculine design or inspired by the men's shoe, 
the, ver- the version of for women somehow will have like a shorter design where the toe area is and like, you know, they move like kind of where the laces start a little bit closer to the front so it just gives the illusion of smaller feet. Mm-hmm. And I hated that because I felt like when I put on the women's shoe, I'm like, I look like I have like baby feet. Yeah. I don't know why it doesn't match my pants or like when I look down, it just looks awful. Um, so when I went into designing, I just, really reached deep within myself to think about, like, what were all the things that I wish I could have worn? What were all of the details in, in the pair of shoes that I wanted but that nobody ever did? And so basically I took very classic men's designs and I kind of, like, gave it a modern twist, you know, with some accent colors, and then I changed the proportion to make it a gender-neutral fit so that it's, you know, not as wide as a man's but not as narrow as a woman's. And I kind of just based it off of my own feet because I found that in trying all the different samples from all the different factories that I tested, and just from years of buying shoes and trying on shoes, I have pretty average feet, you know. So, so I, what, I what are you? Uh, what what size are you? I, and I know the sizing I, is is. Uh, let's talk about sizing really quick. Sure, uh, I'm a women's seven and a half, which is a men's five and a half, uh-huh. six. Uh, and, and, you know, you go to any shoe store, the men's usually start at a men's seven. So I just kind of felt very screwed my whole life where I was always one size too small right. for any man's shoe. Um, but I have, uh, I believe it's an average women's size foot, uh, even in all of my like Kickstarter, Kickstarter backers and, uh, any kind of sales, like most people who write to me have my size feet, which, which is awesome because uh, I can relate and I can give them pointers and they can give me feedback. Um, but yeah, as far as sizing, I'm doing European sizing because it's a gender neutral size. There's no men or women. It's yeah. literally like that's, 34 to 47. That's exactly what I was alluding to, which, uh, you know, I just think that the way that you're designing and obviously, you know, um, what you're putting forward out there for consumers, I mean, it's changing uh, it's 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 changing the way it can change. It can re- revolutionize the way we buy shoes, and it should be this way, where we're not always constantly thinking about our sex or gender in order to purchase shoes. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, the you know my m- number one question uh, when designing was just like, why can't a person just look at a pair of shoes or a shirt or anything really, any kind of fashion uh, clothing or item? And look at it and be able to relate or feel that it helps represent them or express themselves creatively, like without any kind of gender limitation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know? If 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 shoes were designed this way to begin with, and uh, I just wonder, I mean, did you always want to be in fashion, or did you know that you were going to end up, you know, designing or doing something in fashion? No. <laughs> I mean, I, I literally, I, I look back and I remember being, when I was a kid, I, did, I would draw, I would draw cars and I would um, draw, you know, models and clothing. Mm-hmm. But I always, as I grew up and I, became, I went into advertising and I became a producer, like, there was never the idea of, cross, you know, that crossed my mind that I'm like, oh, I'm going to go into fashion or, or that, oh, I'm going to go design cars. You know what I mean? Like, I think those were kind of like my childhood dreams that I just thought like, eh. 
those are just like kid dreams, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, it sounds like uh, you're also working uh, with you know feminine a uh, feminine collection of shoes as well. So it's not even just um, you know masculine shoes, right? Yeah, uh, so, you know, the whole idea is that this is supposed to be a gender-neutral footwear company, mm-hmm. and uh, and I certainly am not one to just limit myself, you know, because I started with the masculine of center collection because that's what I relate to, and that's my forte, you know. I knew all the things I wanted, and hopefully that it would help other people. But then I also wanted to make sure that I, you know, don't, limit my own company and my own vision and so I wanted to do a feminine of center collection as well um, and, and I've reached out to a lot of people who identify as femme or feminine of center and regardless of their gender you know I wanted to get the feedback from everybody so I want to start uh, research and development very soon and um, and hopefully you know, I'll be able to create a high heel collection that is comfortable and that also will fit the same size range. I think it is so, so cool, Nick. I'm looking at your picture right now online on your website, and uh, I think you look um, super cool. And if anything, I mean, I kind of want to look like Nick Casey myself. Uh, just, uh, you know, just a little background and information for those who know your shoes but may not know you. Um, you know, kind of, is there anything that you would like to share with us as far as uh, Nick personally? Um, you know, I think, uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of, I guess I'm kind of shy about stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> I was, I was going to go as far as, yeah, let's get to know Nick. So Nick. Yeah. I mean, feel free to ask me questions. I just, I'm not really very good at this. Like, are you, like are that. you, here's who I am. <laughs> are you partnered up? Uh, I, I am seeing someone. Yes. Oh, I bet. Yeah. Yeah. You're good looking, good looking guy. Um, <laughs> And uh, where where you, where'd you grow up? Uh, I grew up in New York. Oh. Uh, I was born in Hong Kong, but I grew up in New York and uh, moved to L.A. for college in 1993. What was what was coming out like? Um, it was obviously, I mean, it's very scary, but I got so, I was so blessed. I was so lucky that uh, I would say that I think 80% of my very close friends maybe 90% of my very close friends were all kind of like, oh, we already knew, or like, oh, we had an idea. And then when I came out to my mom, uh, she was just like, oh, I have a secret too. And I was like, what? (laughs) (laughs) So like, she definitely did not make me feel like, oh my God, this was such a huge thing. Uh, Maybe I I think at that age, I felt kind of like, oh, you're stealing my thunder. But but I think in, uh, in hindsight, I realized that that was her way of kind of helping me recognize that like it's it's not so scary and that she's totally accepting and she just wants me to be happy and that's really all I've ever wanted you know? did the secret have anything to do with her sexuality or her her gender no. or anything no okay no <laughs> I won't pry yeah. then it sounds like a family thing yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. okay all right I think cool. she's trying to help like relate and like you know take some of that heat off me type of thing yeah. Yeah, I gotcha. Well, I'm I'm glad that you had, you know, just the support that you did. My last question for you, I mean, you know, I'll be honest, I get really excited when I see queer people of color or people who represent the LGBTQ community do amazing, exceptional things. And so as a uh, uh, person of color in our community, uh, you know, uh, kind of... What are your feelings in terms of the progress that the LGBTQ community as a whole has made? I, I mean, do you 
I feel like we need to be more visible. What are your feelings? I agree with you on that. I think that um, part of the, the motivation in, in creating this company and working with all of the, you know, queer uh, colleagues, you know, that I have within the community who are entrepreneurs or who are starting to do their own kind of projects, um, it's really about visibility. And I think that sometimes we get a little complacent because we're like, oh, yeah, we got these rights. Or like, oh, yeah, we finally got this. Or, we can't stop. Like we're still, we're still fighting. We still have so much to do, and we still need to get our faces out there, get our names out there, and get our, you know, just everything that we're doing. Because, you know, I think we need to. I don't know. I feel like sometimes it's really important to. I think one of the questions I got uh, in, in another interview that I had was like, you know, how do I feel about being out and and being queer, and do I use that as part of the promotion of my company? And I said, absolutely, because I feel like I'm proud of that heritage and I'm proud of being in this community and that we are doing something really powerful and impactful. And, and if it helps, you know, somebody out, you know, maybe a teenager so somewhere in the Midwest who is not as exposed to know that we're, there are people that, you know, he or she can relate to that are doing something significant out in our community and helping other people, that, that might inspire them to feel like they're, like they're accepted or that they belong or that there's going to be people who welcome them, you know, and, um, and I think that that's really important. Nick, thank you so much for dropping by and spending some time with us and sharing the work that you do. And uh, I got to get myself a pair of shoes. Thank you. I hope I look forward to meeting you one day. Yeah, you got it. Nick Casey, everyone. So if you're all about, you know, fashion and shoes, that's that's more about style, but style that's not limited by gender or gender expression. You should check out Nick Casey and that's N-I-K-K-A-C-Y dot com. We'll also post that information up on the website. Don't go away when we come back. Jax and I, well, we close out the show. You'll want to hear, you know, kind of where Jax was at when she was coming out. Who knows what she was wearing? (laughs) Don't go away. Thanks for listening to the Progressive Voices Network, streaming the best in progressive talk 24-7. Keep the progressive conversation going on by joining our community. Each week, we send out an email that covers important things taking place in the Progressive Voices Network and throughout the progressive world. Be the first to know of upcoming shows, schedule changes, exclusive programming, and more. Simply go to ProgressiveVoices.com and sign up for our mailing list. It's that easy. ProgressiveVoices.com. Thanks for listening, and thanks for joining the Progressive Voices community. The Commonwealth Club is a unique organization that brings together people from a variety of backgrounds to explore important issues as a community. Sooner or later, everyone worth hearing comes to our stage. From Marga Gomez to Richard Chamberlain, from James Hormel to Kate Kendall, leading thinkers, activists, politicians, and artists have come to the Commonwealth Club of California. Ted Olson and David Boyes came here to discuss their winning legal strategy for same-sex marriage. Jason Collins talked about gay athletes. The Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence discussed activism and good works. Actor and director Rob Reiner explained how he got Hollywood behind same-sex marriage. Barney Frank described what it's like to be gay at the highest levels of Washington. 
from health care reform to transgender rights, from immigration to gay-owned businesses, it's all at the Commonwealth Club. And that's still just a portion of the 450 programs we present every single year, with new programming nearly every single day. Be a part of the conversation. Learn more at commonwealthclub.org, download our free app in iTunes, and join us in person the next time you're in San Francisco. The Commonwealth Club of California puts you face-to-face with today's thought leaders. And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show. Welcome back. Thanks so much for joining us here on this Monday, August 17th. I'm Michelle Miao, your host. Jax, our producer, is in studio. And we've kind of, you know, we've had this great Monday in which we had a lengthy discussion about identity and how you can see, even in the LGBTQ community, it's uh, complex. It's also diverse. Can't put anybody in a box. And in the news, Target, they recognize that. That's right. I can't believe I missed that in Gaga News. And there, there was some huge uproar about that. There were some parents who, you know, absolutely did not want their boys to be playing with Barbies or something. That They can't seem to shop for themselves. <laughs> everything's not labeled for this is a boy toy. <gasps> oh, yeah. Right. You know, hey, newsflash. When I was a kid, I totally told my mom to buy me, you know, the boy toys anyway. I only played with Legos. So, <laughs> And isn't that crazy that Legos would be considered a boy, you know, yeah, toy? Yeah. I mean, it, well, I mean, it was like Legos or Barbies. Like that was like the distinction. Right. Right. No, I, I, I still have the dolls that my cousins and my aunt would send me for my birthdays. Um, they're collectible items now. They're antique dolls. Scary. Yeah. Really scary. I yeah. just hate, I've always hated dolls. Yeah, they're like these, like, you know, porcelain um, Oh, dolls. I can picture them. Yeah. Looking at me. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Unblinking eyes. Um, but, you know, I, I mean, I also grew up extremely poor, so it wasn't even like I got toys all the time. Um, if anything, I went around, you know, when people threw out spring cleaning, I went around picking up uh, old books. Um, and so, lucky me, because here I am at 33 years old, and I read every day, and I do a radio program. <laughs> yeah, that's the whole other argument of the the what toys kids should even be playing with. Mm-hmm. Right, and then and then it goes even further. You know, um, clothes. I never I never understood. You know why parents feel the need to like dress their babies up in you know blue or pink or or girly girly like babies are throwing up in their clothes like every other (laughs) second (laughs) like they care what they look like right now and you know and you shouldn't either i i feel like just wrap that thing up you know so that you can protect the baby from keep it alive keep it warm (laughs) feed it give it shelter yeah no, and speaking of clothing, I mean, it was true. Uh, I'll tell a story really quick. When I was in like eighth grade or something, my mom dropped my sister and I off to the mall and it was like back to school shopping and I wanted to get some new shoes. I went to Foot Locker. My sister went to like Contempo or Miller's Outpost or something, some store that you have no idea. Yeah, I have no yeah. idea what that is. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and, uh, and, and, and there was a girl working and she was flirting with some guy. 
And I saw a pair of Nikes, and uh, they had a girl version and a guy version. And I obviously liked the guy version more because it was bulkier and it was, you know, it just, it was wider. It it, it just looked better because the girl version was all narrow and I don't know, I think the laces had sparkles on it and like it just wasn't the one I wanted. So I asked her for the male, uh, you know, the boys version of the shoe and she was like, we don't have it in your size, like without even checking. And I was like, she was like, you have to get it in the girl size. And I was like, I don't want it in the girl size. Can you check just to see if you've got a small size of the boys version? And she absolutely was like, we don't have it. And just walked away and continued flirting with the guy. So when my sister came back, I told her what happened and she demanded to speak with the manager. Yes. She got the girl fired. Oh. We were we were in like seventh grade, eighth grade. Like, I mean, we were pretty young and I had no idea that, you know, she'd be considered, my sister would be considered a hero today. <laughs> she would. Fox yeah. News would hate her. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I remember they were like a pair of like basketball shoes. <laughs> what were you like growing up and, uh, you know, lesbian and 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 trying to conform or not conform. I mean, I like when I was really young, I was only dressing in the boys' clothes, only dress going to the boys' section. Like we shopped at Target all the time, mm-hmm. and it was like we would only get clothes for me in the boys' section because that's what I wanted. And then I went to a private middle school and I had to wear a skirt every day. Oh. And I, and then when I got to high school, I was like trying to be more f- quote feminine or girly. Mm-hmm. But I was also, like, an athlete, so I, like, got away with, like, oh, I got practice later. I'm interested in my basketball shorts. <laughs> but, um, and then I got to college, and I was still trying to be, like, kind of girly. And also, I wasn't aware that I was queer yet or gay or whatever. So oh, yeah. Even when I was, like, that little tomboy, I was like, that's just a girl who was a tomboy, but, mm-hmm. you know, still a straight girl. I, I, I get that. I, I definitely was there at about 18, 19 yeah. years old when I was just coming out. Like, I think I was, I like, still had, like, a couple, uh, couple a, a couple, I, I guess some skirts. Mm-hmm. I still had some skirts. <laughs> <laughs> I just See, it wasn't until this past year, really, that I started dressing how I want to dress. And what yeah. I like, and uh, you know, I have my denim jackets, and but I have. The thing is, I'm tall, and guys' clothes fit me better, so uh, I kind of get away with it shopping in those sections because it's like, oh yeah, the girls' clothes probably don't even fit her, right? Like this Amazon woman, but, but like, see, by the time I realized that I liked a much more tomboy or boyish look, um, I was what, but night twenty years old. I was in college. And I, w- I was even smaller back then. Like I was definitely a late bloomer. So I was all of like 115 pounds oh, at 5'2". Yeah, I was super small, so I couldn't fit men's clothes. I would shop at the boys' section sometimes, but that was really weird because, you know, the crotch drops. Yeah. And that's uncomfortable. See, I wear girl pants mm-hmm. because of mm-hmm. that crotch drop. And then I couldn't wear like, you know, and I was more into the preppy looks. I couldn't do the, the button downs because the buttons were spaced wider or, or, you know, the distance was, it was spaced out more. And so I have boobs and, and that didn't work out. Mm-hmm. So I went through a very awkward phase of just looking weird. I looked like, I looked like the straight guys who wear like church 
uh, shoes, black shoes with like jeans that are a little ripped at the bottom because yeah. they've dragged them with like a button down. They go in, you know, the, to the bars on the weekends. The straight guys are, have no idea what the city is all about. Yeah. Now I'm just making fun of people. <laughs> See, I love it because the queer community, like we're all connected because we have our coming out stories and we've all experienced a certain similarities in that. And then, you know, everyone growing up has their awkward phase, but I think queer people, it's just intensified because right. you don't really know what you want to identify as or what you're allowed to identify as. Yeah. So it's just this terrible in between for so long. Yeah. Yeah. And into your like 20s for most people. Well, share your, you know, uncomfortable stories with us uh, because it would be fun to read them. Uh, head to michellemeow.com. Let us know. Thank you so much for joining us today. Tomorrow we'll, we'll be back at four o'clock Pacific Standard Time. The same time John Zipper of Commonwealth Club will be with us. And our guests, our special guests, will be talking about Bernie Sanders, Black Lives Matter and how that all connects also with the LGBTQ community. So make sure you tune in. Thanks so much. We'll talk to you tomorrow.